Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater. This is a podcast about finding the humanity behind the horror. And this midnight I will tell you the tale of the Chateau Poltergeist. Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. The celebration of Halloween dates back to the ancient Celtic harvest festival known as Samhain, which comes from the Gaelic language meaning summer's end. It marked the end of the harvest season and celebrating the coming of winter, the coming of the darkest part of the year. The phrase All Hallows' Eve is first recorded in English in 1556. The term Halloween is first recorded in 1745 when the Christian religion incorporated it into their beliefs and practices. It is on this night of all nights when the veil between the world of the living and the realm of the dead is at its thinnest. On this night, The souls of the dead walk the earth looking for human company, and families would often leave food and bowls of milk for the souls of their loved ones. It is from this tradition that the more modern idea of trick-or-treating emerged. Candles would be lit in the windows on this night the dead returned to the earth. The modern tradition of carving pumpkins, also known as jack-o'-lanterns, comes from an old Irish folk tale about a soul that was forbidden entry to both heaven and hell, and the tale goes like this. On his way home, after a night's drinking, A man named Jack encountered the devil and tricked the devil into climbing a tree. A quick-thinking Jack etched the sign of the cross into the bark, thus trapping the devil. Jack then struck a bargain that Satan could never claim his soul. After a life of sin drink, and debauchery, Jack was refused entry to heaven when he finally died. Keeping his promise, the devil refused to let Jack into hell, and threw a live coal straight from the fires of hell at him. It was a cold night, so Jack placed the coal in a hollowed-out turnip to stop it from going out, since which time Jack and his lantern have been roaming, looking for a place to rest. In Europe, turnips were carved with faces and a candle placed within them on Halloween night. When Halloween came to North America, pumpkins were much more plentiful than turnips, so the tradition of carving pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns was born. 
because the souls of the dead could wander freely on All Hallows' Eve, the practice of guising or souling began, which is our modern idea of dressing up in costumes on Halloween night so that we blend in with all the departed souls roaming the world on this night of darkness. The first recorded instance of children dressing in costumes and trick-or-treating for candy and sweets in North America happened in 1911, reported by a newspaper from Ontario in Canada. The first recorded use of the term trick-or-treat was also in Canada, reported in 1927. Trick-or-treating was first reported in the United States several years later, in 1934. It is striking to me that the Halloween tradition of children dressing up in costumes and going trick-or-treating for candy is less than a century old. Ever since I can remember, Halloween has been my favorite holiday. I have always loved spooky tales of ghosts, hauntings, and monsters. When I was a little kid, I had two characters I alternated between dressing up as on All Hallows' Eve. Year after year, I dressed up as either Count Dracula or the Wicked Witch of the West. To be honest, I dressed up as the Wicked Witch of the West more than I did Count Dracula, and I'm very happy that my parents always allowed me to do so. The first book of true creepy stories that I can remember reading was a book called Haunted Houses, written by Lawan Sotnak. When I was only in elementary school, I checked out that book over and over again. It made a deep imprint on my memory. Thanks to the magic of the internet, several months ago, I bought a used copy of it on Amazon, and it was just as good as I remembered. Although written for young children, the book contains meticulous historical research. All the facts are correct. I know that, because several of the haunted houses mentioned in that book later became episodes of the Going Dark Theater podcast, most notably... Borley Rectory, which I featured in the two-part Season 1 episodes, The Tale of the Faceless Nun. The sequel to The Haunted Houses book by Lawan Sotnak is called Creepy Castles, written by Christine Sotnak Rom. This equally excellent true horror book for children contains a retelling of the tale of Glam's Castle, which featured in another two-part episode of this podcast's first season as the tale of the immortal monster. There was another story in this book that always haunted my imagination, the tale of the haunting of the Calvados Chateau. I had forgotten about it for years, but when I read this childhood book again, I decided to do some research on the internet. There are only a few articles online about this haunting which is one of the most violent and terrifying poltergeist hauntings on record. On the website normandythenandnow.com, 
there is an article entitled The Terrible Haunting of a Normandy Chateau. The writer of the article is not named. But at the end of that article, they provide PDF copies of two articles that appeared in the French Annales des Sciences Psychiques. These articles reproduce the first-hand account of this horrific haunting, which was verified to be true by dozens of witnesses. The full accounts, to my knowledge, have never been translated fully into English. That changes now, and this is my Halloween treat for you, all of my faithful listeners. What you are about to hear is a true tale of terror translated by Morgan Husaf Zelinsky from the original words published in the French Annales des Psychiques de Sciences Psychiques in the late 19th century. You are hearing these words in English for the first time here on Going Dark Theater. The original article is credited to G. Maurice under the title Strange Phenomena at the Chateau de T. All names are initialed in this retelling to preserve the family anonymity. But if you do some digging on the internet, you can find out what the real names and places are. What you are about to hear is the diary of a violent haunting. I hope it haunts your nightmares as it does mine. Even my friend, Morgan Husaf-Zelinsky, who translated all the words you are about to hear, said she could only do so when she was not alone in her house. It was too frightening otherwise. Strange Phenomena of the Chateau de T by G. Maurice, translated by Morgan Husaf Zelinsky. I would be very happy if I could remotely help you attain what you were searching for in the Annals of Psychic Sciences. Let us first try to explain the facts. The theories will come later, Monsieur Richette tells us in his introduction at the beginning of this publication. Using this advice, I will try my hardest to expose the facts as simply as I can. This happened in 1875, at the Chateau du Tee in Normandy, at which time the owner, Monsieur de X, and his family still resided. Monsieur de X, whose honorability and intelligence cannot be questioned, precisely recorded the extraordinary events to which he bore witness that occurred day after day, making sure to note who was present in the chateau at the time of each event. These people can attest, as he can, to the oddity of this phenomena. 
It is thanks to this article that we will be privy to these events. We will not add a word to the accounts of Monsieur de X. We reserve the right to omit details that we deem less important so as not to fill too many pages in this publication. Around 1835, there was an ancient chateau that belonged to the family B. This chateau was in such a dilapidated state that its restoration was deemed unnecessary. It was replaced by another chateau approximately 500 feet north on the same land which Monsieur de X would eventually inherit and move into in 1867. Occasionally, the chateau was known for being a theater of extraordinary phenomena, for being haunted by ghosts who were more or less evil. The de X family ignored these claims when they moved in. After several months of living there, certain events began to take place, but only intermittently. It wasn't until the family left the chateau to live with extended family that these events increased with the intensity and frequency that was later observed in 1875. The servants were petrified, and upon their request, Monsieur and Madame de X returned after only being gone for one month. These same events continued after their return, and despite Monsieur de X's meticulous investigation, nothing was found. Things seemed to calm down at the beginning of 1868. The strange noises could only be heard far in the distance and were less violent. By 1870, they stopped altogether. Quote, For the last five years, we have regained our calm and sense of security, and we only talk about these events when friends or family ask, writes Monsieur de X. Therefore, one could understand our disappointment when new noises, similar to those in 1867, have reappeared and have made us wonder if this chateau is destined to be the setting of strange phenomena, making it impossible to live here. It is October, 1875. Every morning I will be recording the events that took place the night before. Please note that while these noises are happening, even when snow covers the land, there are no footprints around the chateau. I secretly tied a string at every doorway, but none were broken. And now we give voice to Monsieur de X. It is now October 1875. The people living in the house are... Monsieur and Madame DX and their son, Monsieur l'Abbé, the tutor, Emile, the driver, Auguste, the gardener, Amelina, the maid, Selina, the cook. All these servants sleep in the house and they deserve 
our utmost trust. Wednesday, October 13, 1875. Monsieur Labbé informed us that his chair had moved. My wife and I walked him to his room and carefully inspected the positioning of every object in his room. We placed a piece of gummed paper on one of the legs of the chair to stick it to the ground. We left Monsieur Labbé and told him to alert us if he witnessed anything strange. At a quarter to ten, Monsieur Labbé heard a series of small knocks on his wall. Loud enough that Amelina, who was in the room across the hall, could hear. He then hears the winding of gears from the grandfather clock in the corner of the room and notices the slow creak of the metal torch moving along the chimney's mantel. Finally, he hears and sees what he believes to be his chair walking across the room. Not having the courage to get up, he rings for me and I go check it out. As I enter his room, I note that the chair has in fact moved about three feet. It has turned to face the chimney. The spindle that once laid at the foot of the torch is now placed on top, while the other torch has moved and landed in a way that it is hanging a few centimeters off the edge of the mantel. A small statue that had been against the mirror is now twenty centimeters in front of it. I leave his room after twenty minutes and hear some violent knocks. Monsieur Labbé rings to tell me that those knocks were on the door of his cupboard, found at the foot of his bed. Thursday, October 14th, we hear some violent knocking. We prepare ourselves, search the grounds, but nothing is found. Friday, October 15th. At around 10 o'clock, Monsieur Abbé and Amelina clearly hear footsteps and conversation which seem to imitate mine and Madame de X's. It sounded to them like we were walking through their corridor to get to our room. Amelina swears that she recognized our two voices and heard the door to Madame de X's room open. She wasn't scared as long as she convinced herself it truly was us. We were sleeping. And we didn't hear a thing. At 11.15, the whole house is awoken by a series of loud knocks in the green room. 
Auguste and I quickly investigated everywhere, and while in the living room, we heard knocks near the laundry room. Off we go. Nothing. We head back down. Madame de X and Amelina hear furniture dragging upstairs where there was no one there. They hear a loud, heavy thud. Saturday, October 16th. Everyone is awoken by a series of loud knocking around 12.30 a.m. The search group finds nothing. Sunday, October 17th. Auguste and Emile are guarding the outside of the house. At midnight, Monsieur Labbé, whose bedroom door is at the top of the stairs, hears heavy footsteps, slowly ascending, walking by his room and entering the green room. The door closes and all goes quiet for the rest of the night. Monday, October 18th. The number of witnesses is increasing. The vicar of the parish has been sleeping here since Saturday. He has heard the noises, but wishes to stay. He will be an additional witness to any future occurrences. Tonight, Marcel de X will be arriving. He will sleep on the second floor and plans on leaving his door open to get a better understanding of the nature and location of the noises. Auguste is sleeping in the corridor outside Marcel's room. At around 11 p.m., Marcel, who was still awake, distinctly hears a woman coughing, coming from the door to his toiletry cabinet at the foot of his bed. A few minutes later, Everyone is woken up by the sound of a big, heavy bell, and then a ball bouncing down the stairs from the second floor, one step at a time. Thirty seconds later, an isolated, violent bang, followed by nine or ten big knocks. Tuesday, October 19th, Monsieur Duhem, the priest, came to spend the night at our request. He clearly heard heavy footsteps slowly and heavily going down the stairs, followed by another loud isolated bang like the night before. Coming from the middle of the staircase on the way to the ground floor, the priest, without a doubt, suspects the supernatural. Marcel heads home with the same thoughts. The noises completely stopped 
until the night of Saturday, October 30th. Saturday, October 30th. Everyone is awoken by loud knocks. Sunday, October 31st. Last night was active. It was Halloween. It sounds like someone is going up the stairs from the ground floor, footsteps faster than humanly possible. Once on the landing, five loud knocks, so hard that the frames and objects on the wall rattle in their place. It sounds like a heavy anvil or large beam is thrown against the wall so as to shake the entire house, yet no one can pinpoint exactly where these noises are coming from. Everyone gets up and congregates in the first floor corridor. We quickly scan the area and find nothing. We go back to bed, but the noises make us get up again. We cannot rest again until three o'clock a.m. Wednesday, November 3rd, at 10.20 p.m., Everyone is woken up by loud footsteps rapidly going up the stairs. A series of loud knocks makes the walls shake. We all get up immediately. Right away, we hear the sound of a heavy body descending the stairs from the second floor to the first, jumping happily from one step to the next. Once downstairs, it continues its course, sliding down the corridor and promptly stopping on the landing. Immediately, we hear two explosive knocks, followed by an incredibly large bang, like a carpenter's mallet being thrown at full force on the door of the green room. Then, several smaller, repetitive knocks imitating the footprints of animals. Thursday, November 4th. Tonight, as we are all heading to bed, Auguste asks me to come listen to a repetitive series of knocking that can be heard from the second floor where he is sleeping at the moment. When I arrive, I hear nothing. I quickly walk through the attic and the red room. I leave the door to the red room open and sit in the room across the hall, leaving that door open too. Auguste and Armand, Amelina's brother, are with me. We have a source of light. We wait. After three minutes, five distinct knocks can be heard from the red room. When no one could have entered without being seen or heard, I announce that I have my revolver, which everyone knows goes with me wherever I go. Just as I get back downstairs, Auguste distinctly hears five knocks. They are quieter 
but I still hear them from downstairs. On the night of Friday, November 5th, Monsieur de X explains that extremely violent knocks and banging could be heard all night. He notes that not a second passed between each knock and that one could happen at the end of the chateau, followed immediately by another in a completely different location. Auguste confirms, with high torch in hand and Armand at his side, that they followed a series of knocking along the floor in the corridor. The knocks continued into the red room. Despite the door being closed, they stopped at 2.45 a.m. Saturday, November 6th. At 2 a.m., a being throws itself at full speed up the stairs through the vestibule of the first floor and quickly continues up the stairs to the second floor with loud steps that can in no way be human. Everyone heard it. The steps sounded like they were coming from Legs without feet. Walking on stumps. Then we heard multiple and loud knocking in the stairwell and on the door in the green room. Wednesday, November 10th. At 1 o'clock a.m., a hurried galloping of steps is heard in the vestibule and the stairwell. A loud knock on the landing followed by another very violent knock on the green door. This lasts two minutes. A storm is raging outside. The wind, thunder, and lightning make the night feel even more horrifying. At 1.20, we hold the door to the green room. Immediately, we hear two loud knocks on the door, followed by three inside the room, then more on the door, and finally, continuous tapping on the second floor, at least 40 taps. It lasts two and a half minutes. At that moment, everyone hears a scream, like a loud horn that is controlling the storm. It came from outside. Shortly thereafter, everyone hears three shrill, sharp screams. They are coming from outside, but getting closer to the house. At 1.30 a.m., a deafening bang comes from the second floor, followed by a loud scream, a long scream. Then one second later, the sound of a woman calling out in the night. It's 1.45 a.m., Suddenly, we hear three or four big screams in the vestibule and the stairwell in the house. We all get up and, as always, take a minute to assess the situation. We go back to bed. At 3.20, 
A loud galloping of footsteps can be heard in the corridor. We hear, too, faint screams, still obviously inside the house. Friday, November 12th. Several knocks are heard, followed by many sharp, loud screams. Other screams are heard coming from the vestibule, sounding more like moans. At 11.45, three muffled screams seem to be coming from the basement. Then, more loud ones coming from the stairs. At midnight, everyone gets up. We hear more screams in the basement than in the inside of the green room. Finally, sobbing and moaning from a woman who appears to be suffering horribly. Saturday, November 13th. Not only are we bothered at night, but now also in the daytime. At three o'clock, knocking is heard in the dining room. No need to search. At 3.15, we hear noises in the green room. We investigate and find that a chair has been moved and is blocking the door as if to prevent us from opening it. We manage to get in and put the chair back. At 3.40, we hear footsteps in Madame de X's room. Another chair has moved. A second visit to the green room finds that the chair has once again moved in front of the door, preventing it from opening. Madame de X and Amelina accompany Monsieur l'Abbé to his room, where they witness the closet door open by itself. In Madame de X's room, the chair has once again relocated and in Monsieur Labbé's room, the window, which had been securely closed, is open. Saturday, November 13th, night time. Galloping noises, like the ones from a while ago, are heard. Thirteen loud knocks on the landing, followed by eight violent ones on the green room door. We hold the door and then quickly close it. At a quarter past midnight, two loud cries are heard from the landing. It is no longer the cries of a woman in pain, but sharp, furious, damned, and desperate cries. Cries of demons. For almost an hour, we hear loud, violent knocking. Monsieur de X's journal continued until January 29th, 1876, meaning that every night up until that point, there were encounters and supernatural phenomena occurring like the ones above. Sometimes, the knocking was so violent that Monsieur de X compares it to a wall crashing down. He notes that these noises occur in different parts of the house, 
and the same noise might be heard in one part of the house and simultaneously or immediately after be heard in another room on the opposite side of the house. At the beginning of January, Monsieur de X recounts that every morning, every one who went downstairs was followed by a series of knocks on the walls, following their every move, stopping when they stopped and starting again when they walked. One day, Madame de X heard a noise in one of the rooms and went to investigate. She extends her right hand to grab the doorknob, but the door quickly swings open, making the key fall out of the lock and hit her left hand, which was still sore two days later. Another time. The priest stayed overnight at the chateau. He heard a noise that sounded like an animal with planks under its feet that entered his room from the one next door. It sounded like the animal climbed on his bedside table to get under his pillow and into his bed, stopping at his arm. The priest had a light and was wide awake, but he didn't see anything. Monsieur de X decided to ask the bishop if he could send someone to perform an exorcism. The bishop sends someone, and from that moment the strange phenomena stopped. It is now January 29, 1876, and until that date, from the beginning of October 1875, Monsieur de X had some sort of strange occurrences, supernatural phenomena to record every night. There are people who don't want to believe anything or admit what they have seen with their own eyes or touched with their own hands, says Euler. This is a mistake which prevents people from believing the truth and seeing that there is sufficient evidence. We have no choice but to recognize it. Well, I think the evidence is sufficient. I believe that after the amount of accounts and serious witnesses to the phenomena that were described it is impossible to deny their existence. Monsieur and Madame de X, their son, the house staff, and all the visitors who stayed one or more nights were all witnesses to these supernatural occurrences. They all confirm having seen or heard something because they all saw or heard things. To reject their accounts is to deny the principle 
that a witness's testimony helps us attain certainty, which in turn would overthrow the principles of society, legislation, and history. Please accept, dear sir, this story and the assurance of my highest consideration, G. Maurice. Of course, the exorcism was not the end of the poltergeist activity in this French chateau. Oh no. There is much more of this tale to be told, and that tale will be told in a future episode of Going Dark Theatre, again translated as this episode was by Morgan Husaf Zelinsky. My friends, it is Halloween, October 31st, 2020. The very first episode of this podcast, Going Dark Theater, was published on November 2nd, 2019. So, we are almost at the one-year anniversary. I want to thank everyone who has been listening to this podcast, both those who have listened from the beginning and those who have joined recently. I appreciate all of your time deeply. It's because I started writing this podcast, writing the stories, the scary stories that I've always loved and wanted to write, that now I actually have a book deal, and I'm writing a book that will be published in 2021. It is thanks to this podcast and to all of you who have been listening. Going Dark Theater will continue with tales of horrific history and finding the humanity behind the horror. Happy Halloween, my friends. And now, Going Dark.